You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, October the 4th, half past four here in a very wet and windy New York, wet and windy enough to, to wake me up and get on with this. 9.30 UK time, 10.30 around about in France, where news has just come that Christophe Soumion's retainer with His Highness the Aga Khan has come to an end as a direct consequence of his actions at saint Cloud on Friday. You'll be hearing in a few moments' time from the racing manager to the Aga Khan studs, uh, Georges Remo. But first of all, David Yates from the Daily Mirror, what does the short statement say and what might it mean? Because it's not quite as straightforward and cut and dried as it might appear. It says, following last Friday's incident at San Clou, which resulted in the fall of Ross Orion, the Aga Khan studs have taken the decision to cease their retainer with jockey Christophe Soumion with immediate effect. From this week onwards, Soumion may still ride in the Aga Khan silks on occasion at the discretion of the French trainers and the Aga Khan studs team. At this stage, there is no intention to retain a jockey in France for the foreseeable future. So, Notes to the editor, and he, he does tell us that uh, Christophe Soumillon was the Aga Khan's retained rider in France from 2000 to 2009, when, of course, they split and they were back together in 2014 until this morning. Yes, we've sacked him before, dear reader, was the uh, was the inference I, I drew from that. And we got back together again, and he might still ride horses for us. So is this is this then, do you think, performative? more than anything else of course they're saving themselves a bit of money as well quite a lot probably yeah i think there's a there's a strong possibility of that i mean i was i was going to say earlier on that you know they they've had more marriages and splits than uh liz taylor and richard burton it's not quite that uh, got to that stage yet but yeah it, the the door is the door is not slammed shut is it it it's uh you wouldn't expect a press release to say uh you'll never see sumio in the the famous uh green and red silks ever again and it certainly doesn't say that so you would think for example uh horses from this season with whom the jockey has had a very successful relationship most notably Verdani. Well, what will what will happen with that horse? Well, the man to ask is the manager of the Aga Khan Studs in France, Georges Remo. Um, he speaks about Verdani very shortly. But first of all, he he just clarifies the position that was laid out in the in the statement regarding Christophe Soumillon. Uh, the statement is short, simple, to the point. Uh, it follows the decision uh, that came out of a discussion we've had with the team and uh, which was to not renew uh, the contract for Christophe next year and uh, because he's stopping he's, he's being uh, he can't ride for the next two months then it's stopping now and uh, but we we are also saying that he's able to ride our horses based on what the trainers want to do if they wish to have him on a horse they can use him on a horse but it's not under contract yeah, I mean, I suppose, I suppose the the obvious question there is, 
this is a direct result of what happened on Friday. If what hadn't, ha- if if what happened on Friday hadn't happened, would he still have a retainer? Until the end of the year, yes, and it's always reviewed at the end of the year. So uh, next year uh, might have been different, but uh, it is, as you say, a direct effect of the incident of last week. Okay. Um, the interesting news today is that you've made a decision about Verdani and next year. So talk me through the, the discussions that you've had and, and what conclusion you came to. Well, we, we felt uh, he has been unlucky in the Irish champion and not unlucky, but he was beaten in the arc uh, in, in a very uh, deep ground. And, uh, and uh, you were, I don't know if you were there, probably not, but the, the weather was just awful. And uh, we felt he needed to get another chance at it. So uh, he answered all the questions. He can stay. Uh, and he doesn't mind the ground. So we felt it was uh, the right thing to do is to give him another chance next year. And that's about it, really. I mean, there's not, not a whole lot to... Uh, it's not, there's no real strategy about this, really. It's, you know, this is the what we felt was to be done. It's, so, it's, ex- uh, it's, exciting. it's exciting for us, though, I think. I, because he, he's already achieved, a, you know, quite a, quite a significant amount. I was very interested when... Um, Princess Zara was talking to the media the other day and she was saying, you know, it's very important to get stallions, to develop stallions, to stand them for the for the future. So it, it, it sounds as though that was a, you know, a fairly robust discussion you needed to have. Well, yes, really, you know, he, he certainly has done a lot, but uh, we we also feel, you know, we, we are an organisation that races also and uh, races to to apply good performances on horses and uh, and uh, this is what we're trying to do and really to I think to finish the year with two two defeats um, which is what what's happened unfortunately um, uh, is possibly not as good as trying again another year I mean those decisions were made very quickly really after after the the race uh, and uh, I'm not sure there's a full analysis that is made when when you take that decision but I think it's the right one. I think the horse will strengthen more, and I think he, he will have a very good year next year. Uh, so uh, we've all agreed to that and uh, said, okay, let's go for another year, and that's, that's about it, really. Where do you think a, a starting point for him might be if you were plotting your way back to the art? What sort of what sort of campaign would you see him having? Well, we would probably start with a with a race in France uh, with the Ganet or something like that and then maybe aim for the prince of wales at ascot and then see how we bring him to the irish champion and then the arc some something of that nature uh with with all the variations that are possible in between but uh and and it all depends really what other horses will be running on next year and uh how the horse is and and so on and so forth i mean there's a lot of ifs and buts on a, on a horse's career but that would be the the sort of a, a way to go i suspect and the, the trainer was mentioning those races um on sunday and uh this is what he's done with other horses at times and with Sutsas recently so um yeah i mean something of that nature 
I mean, and and finishing where we where we started, George. If Jean Claude Rouget says, "Yeah, I'd, I'd like I'd like Christophe to carry on riding Verdani," judging by your statement, it seems as though you'd be okay with that. Am I being presumptuous? No, you're okay. You read it well. <laughs> that's that's what we say. I mean, yeah, and we'll see we'll see what happens. Uh, I think it's very difficult to uh, to know what will definitely happen with Christophe. I'm not sure whether. What he will be doing, uh, whether uh, but but really yes, it, it's up to the trainers, in agreement with us, with the team, with Princess Zara, with the Aga Khan himself, and so on. So uh, yes, he he will be able to put him on horses. Yes, absolutely. All right, Georges Remo there. So effectively, we could be talking about Christophe Sumion winning the Arc on on Verdani this day next year. And, and everyone will have will have just about forgotten about this. But the retainer has ended as a direct consequence of what happened at, at San Clue, Dave. What do you think about that? Had it been me in the Aga Khan's position, I would have said to the press, right, France Gallo have dealt with this. They've given him 60 days. I don't approve of what he did, but I'm not the, um, the, the judge and jury at uh, French Racing's governing body. And the wheels of justice have turned and I've nothing to add to that. You know, sporting practitioners are not chosen by whether they help old ladies across the road in their spare time. Uh, They're chosen for their effectiveness, be that on a horseback or in the penalty area or wherever it might be. And so we know that Sumion is supremely effective on horseback. And so I, I am quite surprised. I must admit, I think that you're right to point out that the door isn't completely slammed shut, but I thought they would probably just leave it open altogether. But all that said, yeah, the big prize is clearly this very high-profile horse that was second in the arc, and, and we're lucky enough to see him next year. Jordi Remo even outlining a, a pretty specific plan of races there, which might take in Royal Ascot along the way. So, Dave, what do we think of that? I am a bit surprised. Well, I wasn't surprised about the end of the Sumion retainer. I'm quite surprised they're they're keeping the horse in training if history is a guide. Over the decades, and there are many of them now, we've been used to seeing the Aga Khan retire his three-year-olds. His his three-year-old colts have have just gone off to stud routinely. I think that's fair to say. I'm sure there's the odd exception. Well, there is the odd exception, but generally that's what they do. Um, and yes, one, not one, but two uh, items of news from the Aga Khan studs. As you say, Sumion won. And, and this is a surprise, really, that given what Vidani has achieved uh, this year, it would be no surprise at all to see him uh, join the Stallion roster, of course, uh, the winner of the Prix de Jockey Club, then a, uh, a neck victor over Mishriff in the Coral Eclipse. Two defeats, latterly with podium finishes, the third in the Irish Champion Stakes at Leopardstown, and then uh, the brilliant half-length second to Alpinista at Longchamp Sunday in the Arc. So he, he races on. He could be he could be absolute European champion next year, couldn't he? Baid's not there. Uh, Alpinista, we think she'll be off to stud, we assume, but she's going to have the the Japan Cup on her agenda, it looks like, first. There's a huge bonus on the table. The incentives are much greater than they were, and frankly, it's a great race worth winning anyway. We talked yesterday a little bit about Sir Mark Prescott's obvious spirit of adventure when he has had a good horse. 
It looks as though, Dave, she could be joined by at least Torquato or Tasso and possibly the Arc Fifth Grand Glory as well. So um, quite a few maybe going to the Japan Cup. Yeah, what a what an interesting race that's going to be. Um, they The same connections didn't run Al Barada in the Japan Cup a, a few years ago. Uh, there was a, a, a late problem there, wasn't there? Mm, um, I wanted to. Yes, indeed. Um, and after after the race on Sunday, uh, Sir Mark Prescott pointed out the uh, the bonus that was on offer for victory in the Japan Cup. Kirsten Rousing said, all being well, we'll get her home and we'll see uh, what the options are. But the obvious ones are uh, Breeders' Cup and Japan Cup. And it looks as though Tokyo is the more likely of the two destinations. So that's very exciting. You know, one of the things that, um, in the build-up to the arc, Sir Mark Prescott was apt to stress the straightforward nature of Alpinista. And he said that the great thing about her is that she can be a nuisance and she can do what the others don't want her to do. He said you can make it on her, you can hold her up, you can you can do virtually anything with Alpinista. And of course, uh, she's also not choosy as regards her playing surface. We know that she's been successful on fast ground at Group 1 level. Now, of course, she scored on a very soft surface. And so, yes, yeah, it's... it's um, it, she She's so adaptable and let's hope that over the next what seven weeks everything is okay with her because that will be uh, that would be a fitting swan song and I think it probably will be a swan song uh, to her career Torquato Tasso of course as well um it, it it looked I think for those of us who tipped Torquato Tasso on Sunday I think we were kidding ourselves that the draw uh, wouldn't make any difference well certainly he was the only one of the first seven home with a double figure draw. Alpinista was six and Vidani was two. Um, and so Frankie said afterwards, well, you know, clearly it didn't help. And he lost very little in defeat, just beaten three parts of a length in defence of his title. Um, I must admit that going into the race, I desperately wanted Alpinista to win uh, in, in common with many other people in uh, British horse racing. But I really wanted Torquato Tasso to run well uh, as, uh, as as well. Uh, Marcel Weiss and, and Julia Romick have been so helpful to us over the last uh, 12 months with this horse. And he ran a belter and I hope he acquits himself well in Japan too, if that's where he goes. Well, the last British trained horse to win the Japan Cup was Alcased, who was ridden by Frankie Dottori and was trained by Luca Kumani. Luca Kumani is selling horses in the next two days of the Tattersall's Book One sale with his wife Sarah under their Fittock stud banner. He's now retired from training. He's also just announced that he is stepping off the British Horse Racing Authority board after a, a tenure there as a, a board member. He's going to be replaced by John Ferguson, the former Bloodstock and Racing Advisor to Sheikh Mohammed, who now runs his own very successful Bloodstock business. Luca is is also a key figure in Newmarket and will have been celebrating, I'm sure, the victory of Alpinista in the arc. And he knows a thing or two about what it's like to work and not work for His Highness the Aga Khan. So I thought he was the right person to talk to this morning for any number of reasons. And first of all, he gave me his recollections of Alcased's famous victory in the Japan Cup back in the mid-2000s. 
it was a, it became a bit of an afterthought because he was supposed to run in the Breeders' Cup at uh, Belmont that year, and uh, and the ground went against him, so we took him out, and so we then decided we were going to go for the Japan Cup, where with a bit of luck by then, uh, even in November, the, the ground is always pretty quick in Japan, and uh, so we, we we went went to that, and and uh, I had been to Japan Cup with one runner before. And I knew that what what a big event it is, and uh, people are queuing to get in in the gates from the night before. And uh, when you're in, it's uh, the atmosphere is unbelievable. And uh, you know, you you go up in the stand and you look down; it's a sea of of, of, of heads everywhere. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable. And the the, the expectation and the the atmosphere mounting, sort of increasing the crescendo up until they, they jump out is, uh, is something to, to I've never experienced before anywhere else and you know it, it isn't often they, they, they say they, have, they pack in about 100,000 people so there aren't many places in the world where, you, where you're in with 100,000 people. And having been there not just with Alcacer but with several horses Luca do you think Alpinista is the type of horse that would be well suited to the Japan Cup? Oh, that's a very tricky one because uh, I don't know the filly at all. Uh, but obviously, she's the, she, she's done nothing but improve. Um, she goes on any ground. She's very easy tactically to deploy. And uh, yes, why not? I mean, she's uh, it's probably going to be her last race, and then she's going to probably hopefully have twenty years enjoying the enjoying the the green lush grass of Lanwade Stud. So if she's in good form, why not? Horses are for racing. And uh, as I say, if she's in good form, why not? But the biggest question is, will Miss Rousing be able to persuade Samark to go to, all the way to Japan? Well, I think she might just manage it again, uh, Luca. Tell me a little bit about the reaction of, of Newmarket to the success of, of Alpinista. You've been on the sales ground for the, for the last few days. It's fantastic. I mean, we're all we are watching here from our box at the sales. And we're all when, when she hit the front, we're all erupted in with 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 uh, encouragement and joy, and uh, very very happy for both of them. Don't forget Luke as well. I mean, Luke is a is a very sort of um, underestimated jockey because he does get his horses in very good positions and races a very good tactician. He may not be the the best to uh, stylist in the world. But uh, he, 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 he doesn't make a mistake in his races. Mark, so Mark has been around such a long time and is such a popular figure and everybody loves him. A couple of other reasons for calling this morning. First, you, you've stepped down from the board of the British Horse Racing Authority. Your place will be taken um, as one of the horsemen's representatives by, by John Ferguson. Do you, do you leave it in better shape than you, than you, than you came into it? I think so, very much so. Uh, not for, my, for for anything that I have done, uh, but I think I think the, I'm I'm sort of very hopeful that things are moving in the right direction now. There seems to be, uh, you know, the difficult time racing has had this year has seemed to focus the mind of all the various factions, and there's a definitely a renewed willingness and determination to everybody working together. Uh, Luca, you're with wife Sarah consigning horses to, to book one of the Tattersall sales t- today. Um, in your experience, how has interest matched up to previous years so far? I think it's um, I think it's going to be a very exciting sale. 
I think uh, what's happened in the rest of the world so far with yearling sales pointing in that direction has been a great enthusiasm for people, from people to buy horses. And uh, we, we were counting last night and uh, the number of views we had. We got 11 yearlings selling here and we had uh, just last night we, we broke over the thousand shows. So that's that's a, that's a hell of a lot of shows over the three days for the yearlings, and I think there is a, the car park is absolutely full. I came here this morning at uh, seven o'clock, and it was nearly all full already. So uh, I think I think we're going to see a very interesting sale with a lot of participants. And like the, I was just saying to you, the the news just broke that the Aga Khan split with with Christoph Sumiar. You probably had a, a wry smile and a raised eyebrow when you when you saw that. You had a so quite an interesting relationship with the, with that outfit yourself. Um, what would you have done to him? Do you think? Um, I certainly wouldn't have given him the elbow. That's for sure because it's too good a jockey not to have on your horses. Um, but uh, obviously, I would have been very cross because that's not the way to behave. But I think that you know he's uh, he's been stood down for two months, and I think that's an adequate uh, punishment. Uh, there are two very important months coming up with big, big, big international races, uh, and uh, but he deserves it. Um, but I don't think I would have gone as far as uh, as, as giving him the elbow. Um, yeah, n- no pun intended, or perhaps pun intended. Um, uh, Luca, I appreciate your thoughts this morning. Best of luck with the with the with the sale. Who's 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 bearing the weight of the responsibility today as regards the the your draft from Fitex? Yeah, we got seven tomorrow. We have got a very nice filly today, and we think we think she's going to sell well. She's uh, had plenty of lookers, uh, but tomorrow is a, is a bit more fraught because we got seven in quite quick su- succession. So we're we're we're, we're hopeful and. Uh, Never be confident, as I've always said. With, with horses, you can never be confident, but uh, always hopeful. Is it is it more or less stressful than training? A lot less stressful. And it only, <laughs> it's only for two weeks of the year. This is our harvest, and uh, and it's only for two weeks. The rest of the time, it's fairly relaxed. Whereas with racing, you you it's stressful every day. Uh, so <laughs> that's good to hear. So you're enjoying life. I of course I've always enjoyed life and. Been very very lucky in life. Been very lucky that I, I I left Italy at the right time to when racing was started going downhill, and uh, I, I found my little niche in the new market and been very very happy ever since. Okay, Lucas, good to hear. Thanks so much for chatting to me. Thank you, Nick. Right, time now to have a look back on what happened in the United States over the weekend and there were no fewer than a dozen Breeders' Cup win and your in races across two continents but we're going to focus on the domestic action the American action we'll start with Life is Good the second best horse in the United States or at least that's the prevailing orthodoxy uh, he certainly would be second favourite for a, a Breeders' Cup classic in most lists a, a distance behind Flightline who worked in just over a minute for five furlongs at Santa Anita on Saturday morning Matt Bonilla, my NBC colleague, is with me now. Matt, first of all, what do we make of Life is Good's rather unimpressive performance against three inferiors at Belmont at the Big A in the sloppy track? I, th- I think it was workmanlike. I think it was a means to an end, and, and Todd Pletcher seems to be of that mind frame that, look, we expected him to get through it. Maybe he wasn't brilliant like he's been in the past, but the goal wasn't to win the Woodward on Saturday. It was to win the Breeders' Cup Classic or at least have the best chance to do so against Flightline. Um, 
the the figures came back a little bit light, but big picture, if it genuinely was nothing more than a stepping stone, uh, I think the last thing you want to do is is really get to the bottom of this horse on a, a sloppy Saturday at Aqueduct. You want to find out the first Saturday in November if this horse can run with flight line. If you like life is good before the race on Saturday, I don't think your opinion changes. And um, even if you weren't a fan of his before the race on Saturday, I don't think this result really does anything to change your your mind frame. He he still is among the favorites. He is brilliantly fast. He's a brilliant racehorse. It's just, is he as brilliant as Flightline? The numbers would suggest not, but that's why they run the race. And clearly there's a plan already. And the plan is that you're going to send life as good, use all his early speed, and make Flightline have to chase a horse. Mm, what do you think? Especially of uh, life is good caliber. There's a difference between Flightline sitting off of a 40 to 1 shot in the Pacific Classic, who he always had him in his back pocket, could take him whenever he wanted. There's a difference between that and sitting off of a horse that's as brilliantly fast as life is good, who can genuinely go 46 and 3, 46 and 4, well within himself to a half mile and match strides with a horse like Flightline. Now, again, there's kind of twofold questions with that. Can Flightline go and run down a horse of life is good's quality? But then on the flip side, we know that the mile and a quarter is not a problem for Flightline. The jury is still out on whether or not life is good truly wants to go 10 furlongs. Is life is good going to be sham to Flightline's secretariat? I, if I were a betting man, uh, I would say yes. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the most interesting race in many respects that took place on, on Saturday. And that came at Churchill Downs for, for a whole slew of reasons. But let's state the facts first of all. Hot Rod Charlie, one of your favorite horses, beat Rich Strike, this year's Kentucky Derby winner. Hot Rod Charlie, who knew he was so game? Well, and look, I, I feel bad when, I, when I've said things about Hot Rod Charlie. He's an admirable horse. He's very, very consistent. And he runs fast races. He's won big races. It's not as though we're talking about someone who doesn't fit in these spots. But he's always typically found one or two better than him at the highest level. And I suppose if you want to say he never really ran against one of his caliber in this race, the Lucas Classic, his rich strike is a notch below. You know, maybe that's part of the reason Hot Rod Charlie got his head down. But I thought for him to battle back the way that he did, especially with Rich Strike's rider, um, you know, doing a bit of a, a sumion, you know, it wasn't the most appealing thing that you've seen in the stretch run. And, and glad that Tyler Gaffleone was yeah. fine and there was no issue there. But uh, yeah, full marks to Hot Rod Charlie. I guess, the, again, bringing it full circle of the Breeders' Cup. Boy, he just has so much to find to run with those two horses we just talked about. Life is good in flight line. Yeah, let's talk about um, Rich Strike a little bit. Yeah, Sonny Leone was um, was being warned by Tyler Gaffleone by the end of this. Leone was trying to ride both horses. He said his saddle slipped. It was very, very weird. Trainer apparently wasn't very happy. Are we going to see Leone on this horse again, do you think? Well, you know, there, there's something to be said about he has basically been on him his entire career through 11 starts. Leon's been on for all but three of them. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of a it's a tough pill to swallow when you watch that and you say, okay, you, you almost did something, but you did do something nefarious and it could have ended up being a disaster. And, you know, say what you will, but, but maybe this is a horse that, look, he's proven that he this was not a, a one-time fluke kind of thing. His run in the Travers was very solid, and his run here in this race against a quality older horse in Hot Rod Charlie was strong. You know, whether they go to the Breeders' Cup Classic or they wait for a race like the Clark, which will be at Churchill Downs in November, 
maybe it is time to get a big name rider in there. You know, someone who can finish. Uh, I immediately think of a horse, a, a rider like Joel Rosario, who Rich Strike is a horse that rallies from off the pace, and he's going to seemingly be doing his best running at the end. And the best horse, the best rider to finish on horses like that here in the U.S. is Rosario. So maybe it is time for Eric Reed and company to look at it and say. We have a grade one animal. No disrespect to, to Leon, but we need to get a grade one rider. Uh, Bob Baffert's uh, season since he came back continues to get better and better. One, two in the awesome again stakes. Defunded and the Dubai World Cup win a country grammar. Now, is that a fair reflection of their natural ability levels? And are we likely to see both in the Breeders' Cup Classic? Defunded, I'm, I'm very dubious that he is genuinely of this level. And I know he ran second in a grade one earlier this year. and He just won this one on Saturday, but... From a figure standpoint, he's just miles behind some of the main players, including his uncoupled stablemate in Country Grammar. The concern I have with Country Grammar, this was, to me, the worst he's looked in quite some time. And, and I know that maybe you know a bit un, unkind, cause, considering he finished second in this spot. But the San Diego, his first run back from winning the Dubai World Cup, was nothing more than a prep for the Pacific Classic. And I thought he ran his race that day. The problem is... Flightline beat him by 20 lengths. And I mentioned to you before we started, the the concern with anyone that's truly raced against Flightline, not the horses in those races that were afterthoughts and going to finish 5th, 6th, and 7th no matter what. Anyone who's gone at Flightline, Country Grammar, Speaker's Corner, even throw in Happy Saver, none of them have come back the same. It's almost as if he's just taken their will to race and just squashed it. And I think, again, that's the sign of these quality animals looking saying we know what we are but we can't run with that and i it's just it's a bit disheartening for country grammar because i don't know that i'm overly confident going into the breeders cup when before i would have said he's probably the second best going a mile and a quarter behind flight line All right, book one then of the Tattersall sale in Newmarket begins today. We're expecting this buoyant yearling season to continue, particularly given the strength of the American dollar, particularly given the presence on the sales ground yesterday of Sheikh Mohammed, who we haven't seen an awful lot of of late, and the presence of the of the Coolmore Triumvirate as well, or Quartet as it is now. So we don't need too much of an excuse to go around the bloodstock world as we always do on Tuesdays with our friends at Weatherby's who do so much preparing catalogue pages for these sales and they will have prepared plenty for Watton Manor Stud whose Supremo Ed Player joins me now from Tattersalls and we read in the Thoroughbred Daily News last weekend a lovely feature on Ed and your your family's uh, stud in the in the Vale of Beaver, Watton Manor, Ed. Uh, it might just be worth for for those who haven't been able to see it, just giving us a a pricey of of exactly how how this family enterprise came into being and and how it got to where it is today. Uh, hi, Nick. Um, yeah, I suppose it all really started back in the late sixties. Um, my father was in the army, um, thoroughly enjoying himself, and then he had a nasty accident where he broke his leg very badly. And so he was invalided out of the army and he was sort of left with this quandary of what he was going to do with his life. And he got a very lucky break and got employed by Sir David Wills to work at Hadrian Stud, which is now part of Dalham Hall Stud. And whilst there, he started to trade some of his own bloodstock and really got into the industry. Um, he rented a couple of fields. He bought a couple of mares, one of which was called Jungle Queen. And she bred a filly called Prickle, who won the Lowther, whilst we still owned her and was just beaten in the Cheaply Park. 
And so he started to get a few funds behind him and, and bought a few cattle and bought a few sheep and had a bit of a small holding in Newmarket. And then he was extremely lucky. Um, an aunt, elderly aunt of his, decided she was going to leave Watton Manor Stud, or Watton as it was in those days, to him. It was very unexpected at the time. And we all moved up to Nottinghamshire. And a couple of years later, unfortunately, she died. And Watton Manor Stud started at that point. And the, the Wills family then sold Hadrian Studs and moved their stock up to Watton. So they continued supporting us up there. And, uh, you know, small acorns turned into, you know, bigger enterprises. And, and he's just built the whole thing up over over his lifetime and, and slowly but surely got bigger and bigger. So no pressure on you at all then. Um, he, he's invested and built and and you then you then take over the, the, the running of the of the, of the stud what were your ambitions when when you were younger I, I look i spent my whole childhood um out out on the, the farm out on the stud and always doing my homework in fields and i loved it i grew up to really enjoy the industry but um i, I decided to try and be sensible when i left university and i went and worked in the city for 10 years and but always knowing i was going to come back to the industry and i was lucky to have a business that my father was working extremely hard to build up and so i came back and slowly but surely was given more responsibility and obviously yeah i was terrified i didn't want to make any stupid mistakes and ruin all this hard work over the last 40 years and it, it, he's he's hugely ambitious still my father at 80 he, he lets me get on with things but we're very much a team with my mother and my wife and and now my children all have an input and it's just trying to grow the business and and the, the huge desire for us is to have better horses on the place and just keep breeding good horses and does it matter to you whether they're yours or other people's or or, or, or does it do they do they both contribute equally to the business oh it, it couldn't matter less to me i thoroughly enjoy having good horses on the place i want my clients or our clients to be successful and have good racehorses and nothing gives me more pleasure uh, last year, we had David Ward, who bred, um, bred Starman, and that was the second horse he'd ever bred, and watching him win the July Cup was a very, very special moment, and I don't think I'd have got any more pleasure out of it was something we had bred ourselves. To what extent is your is your draft in book one a, a measure of how far the, the, the farm has come in the last 12 or 24 months? Oh, it's, it, it, it's huge for us. I mean, it's absolutely massive. We're not normally book one vendors. Uh, last year, we had three in book one. Uh, we're very fortunate. They've, they've turned into good racehorses. I mean, two of them are now, I mean, Silver Knot won a group three uh, this year, and he's now 20 to one for the Derby. And then Exoplanet won a maiden, uh, I think it was last week. He goes for the Autumn Stakes, and he's also 21 to one for the derby so this year we've now got eight horses uh we've got three debaris frank and see the stars and and it's just a sign of our, our clients have, have sort of trusted us with with some fantastic stock and, and we're, we're doing our absolute utmost best to to make these make make money for them with the sales and hopefully go on to be good racehorses uh, and tell me of the ones that you're you're consigning this year which would be the one for whom there are highest expectations. I realise it's all relative. 
Oh, look, we're, we're, we're selling um, the brother to Silver Knot. He's a Dabawi Colt. He's out of a Group 1 winner. The Group 1 winner's first foals, a Group 3 winner. You know, there's huge expectations and huge hopes for this horse. But um, who knows? I mean, it's, 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 it's scary up there. You're hoping everybody's going to like the horse. But I'm hearing this year there's, it's probably the best bunch of horses that have probably ever been in book one. People are saying there's a huge depth of quality and whether they're going to end up liking yours is, is, is hard to tell. So we'd have big hopes for him. And we've also got another Dabawi out of Dabia, who is a Group Three winner and Group One placed, and he's a he's a very special colt as well. So we we would be hopeful that he could um, he could sell well. And I'm always interested to know from a personal perspective, Ed. You know, you've got a, a, a big team of staff there, a lot of horses in Book One, high pressure, a lot of very expensive yearlings. You drive through into Book Two and all the books beyond, no doubt. How? What's the secret to staying sane, staying calm, and staying on top of things during this frenetic period? Look, Nick, this is a culmination of, of a lot of work over the years. The guys at home have been working extremely hard. I mean, they're back every night changing rugs at nine o'clock, and it, it's it, it's it's a couple of weeks of our life. I always go on holiday straight after the sales, so I, you you just put your head down and, and, and you battle on through. And if things are going well, it's very it's very easy and enjoyable. And if things are going badly, well, you, you've just got to try harder and hope the next horse is going to sell a bit better. But it's it, it's nice. My, my wife comes down to help. She she does the cards at the sales, so she keeps me sane. And, and we've got a fantastic team of staff down at the sales. And, and, and when they're doing a good job and the horses are showing well, it just makes it much easier and it keeps you, keeps you a, lot, lot, uh, a lot saner as such. And, and obviously this is the sexy sale. This is the sale where horses make a lot of money and, and people are always uh, attracted to that like moth round of flame, even the stories of it, even if it's not their, their money. Uh, is it quite important from your perspective to, to keep your head when horses make a lot of money, that, that you have to look at things in a wider business context rather than just what that, what that figure says in the pages of the TDN or the Racing Post or on this podcast? Oh, 100%. I mean, this sale, we're obviously hoping we're going to make you know, great prices, but we're selling expensive nomination. You know, Dubois, they, they, they've cost a lot of money to produce, but next week's a bit more realistic. It's It's... It's harder to get the horses sold for big prices. It's more realistic, um, and 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 that's sort of our bread and butter next week. And and we'd be selling more horses we own ourselves next week. Um, we've got some pin hooks that we we bought and hoping to sell well next week. So yeah, no, we we try and keep realistic this week, and and next week it feels more more of a sort of battle in the trenches. That's a good way of putting it. Ed, wish you all the best over the next few days. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you very much, Nick. Right, thanks to Ed Player. Now, the bell has just gone at Tattersall's and the first few lots have, have gone in. We've already had a, a a million guinea lot or a seven-figure lot. Charlotte's at Tattersall's all week. Right, Charlotte, what's happened? We've, we've only had a couple go in, haven't we? We've started with fireworks. We've had two lots go through so far. The first was a Galileo filly out of Jacqueline's Quest and she made... 500,000 to Ted Vout. Um, and then just gone through is lot three, a Dubawi filly out of Jazzy Top. And she was knocked down for 1.3 million to Anthony Stroud and Godolphin. 
So it's all started very strong here. It'll be interesting to see how we get on for the rest of the day. But looking through the pedigrees, I would expect there'll be plenty more fireworks to come. Charlotte, thanks so much. 1.3 million guineas already spent by Sheikh Mohammed, and we're only two lots down at the Tattersall sale, and Charlotte will be reporting for us during the course of the week. Now, here's Dave Yates, who's got some advice for you for this afternoon. Um, keep your hands in your pockets if you're at, if you're at Tats. I think it's probably the most sensible piece of advice because you, you're not going to get a look in if the trade's that strong. Right, Dave, where are we going this afternoon? The five o'clock at Savile. More prosaic surroundings than uh, the ones we've been discussing over the last few minutes. Uh, number 10, Harbour Vision, a horse of Scott Dixon's who's been running with great consistency on the all-weather of late. There might not be much pace here. Kieran O'Neill will go out in front, I suspect. I hope he stays there. Five o'clock race at Southall. Selection is number 10, Harbour Vision. All right, Dave, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, October the 4th. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.